Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Between the pandemic and politics, it's been an eventful year for Idaho's colleges and universities. This week, we look back on this past academic year and look ahead to the next year with University of Idaho President Scott Green. I interviewed him on Thursday, and here's what he had to say. Well, President Green, thank you for taking the time to join us this week. So spring semester just wrapped up. You had commencement ceremonies up on the campus a couple of weeks ago. Have you been able to breathe a sigh of relief yet? Yeah, I have to say, um, you know, it was we, we did eight ceremonies in, you know, about five days, uh, you know, both in Moscow, Boise, and, and Idaho Falls. But it, it just was terrific. I mean, we're celebrating with our students, right, who uh, weren't even sure we were going to be able to do this. And we were able to do, do them live and in person, and it just felt really good to bring the communities together. So, uh, yeah, you know, we made it. And uh, everybody feels really good about that. Let's talk about that, this past academic year and all the challenges that it, uh, that it entailed. Um, you really kind of started the year trying to ratchet up the protocols and trying to ratchet up the, the testing. How do you think that worked? And how do you think the community uh, on campus responded to all of that? Well, I think it was really key to our success. Um, uh, you know, we recognized, you know, early on, I mean, really in the spring, you know, when, you know, when everything was shutting down, uh, that testing was an issue. Uh, and, and we knew if we were going to be successful here in our community anyway, we needed to have that capability. So uh, we made that call early. And, um, you know, for us, it was, it, it made the diff all the difference because it gave our faculty confidence to go into the, into the classroom and uh, gave our community confidence that we were going to do the right things. And uh, so, you know, partnering with Britman was, was critical to that success. You know, as you know, we're very, uh, we're very grateful to them and have had a really close working relationship. And, and that's been really terrific. And, you know, basically, once we had it up and running, it allowed us to, to test, you know, every student before they actually started. And, um, you know, when we had some outbreaks, you know, our, our, our surveillance testing was able to identify, the, you know, those outbreaks and, and help us put those down, you know, quickly enough that, uh, you know, we didn't have a mass you know, spread. And, you know, I think the results, you know, kind of speak for themselves, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we, because we did surveillance testing and we were so proactive, we've, we've had, a, you know, a number of positives, you know, but on the other hand, uh, you know, we kept our overall uh, positivity rate low. I think our, at the end of the day, we did 42,000 tests with a positivity rate of a little bit under two and a half percent. So, uh, you know, we're, we're very proud of what we accomplished here, you know, as a university and for our community. Now, I was going to say the testing, it really enabled you to pinpoint because you did have some areas like in the fall, you had some outbreaks on Greek Row. You were at least able to, as an institution, figure out where is the problem area and how can we address it and isolate it and keep it from becoming more of a spread, more of a problem. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. And, and you know, that gave our, our community a lot of confidence, um, you know, both because we were able to, through surveillance testing, and once we thought we had a problem, the wastewater also could help point, you know, actually what houses, you know, we ought to be focused on, um, you know, in that case. Uh, so, yeah, it was key. And again, you know, it, it just it just gave us all confidence that we could we could manage this through, you know, throughout the year. It felt like watching this year unfold a lot of your job as president has been messaging i mean you've been sending out you know memos to the campus community you and uh, and tori lawrence uh, the the interim provost really some weeks it felt like you were 
encouraging students and the community, hey, we're, we're in good shape, we're moving right along. Other weeks it was kind of <laughs> admonishing uh, the community, hey, we gotta do better here. Right. It was, you were kind of coaching this community through, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, some of the students, you know, said, said I, you know, <laughs> sometimes I was admonishing a little bit too much, but you know, <laughs> you know the reality is at, at the end of the day that, um, you know, every week we had something different going on and different context. And so, you know, the tone had to, to, to meet that, but, you know, by communicating every week and they could expect this, right. Our, our, our community could expect it. And we were always very honest and transparent, you know, about what was happening and, you know, what the risks were uh, if we didn't make a change. And I have to say our students responded, uh, you know, when we had those outbreaks in the fraternity sorority system, um, you know, the houses were terrific. I mean, they self-quarantined right away. Uh, we tested everybody in those houses. We took care, isolated and took care of those who were sick and got back to business and got the students back into the classroom. And, um, you know, I think they appreciated it, um, you know, at the end of the day that we, we were able to, we had that capability to very quickly address their situation because it's not fun being in quarantine, you know, and uh, yet they're very patient with us. Talk a little bit about the response from the faculty and the staff, because you talked about how testing was really important to instill some confidence in, in the, the faculty and the staff, because let's face it, I mean, in the fall, into the winter, before the vaccines started to kick in, that staff and faculty, they're, they're the folks who were at highest risk. Yeah, and you know they, they were going, um, they were they were presenting themselves, you know, in, in the classroom, and uh, so we did use, as you know, the, the healthy vandal pledge. We were masked and social distanced, uh, which is really important. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think the CDC basically said if if everybody's masked in a classroom, social distancing is as if no contact is even taking place. And in fact, Central uh, Health, who of course does all the contact tracing, said they they te- they trace no. Uh, no infections back to any of our classrooms. Usually it was usually a living situation or, you know, some social event that someone had been to that, uh, that created the problem. And every bit as big a transition and in some ways, maybe even more of a transition was the whole transition to education delivery this year. Some of the classes in hybrid format, some in an online format. How do you assess the way Staff responded to that challenge, faculty responded to that challenge, and students. I think they all responded terrific in a terrific way. You know, um, you know, we, we had a little under, you know, uh, three, you know, 70% of our classes, uh, you know, uh, on, you know, being taught live, but they were also, you know, Zoomed. Um, you know, we upgraded all of our facilities so that if somebody wanted to, um, you know, uh, in a remote, if they were uncomfortable going to class or if they were sick, uh, they could still participate via Zoom. So, you know, we learned a lot through this as I think many universities did and realized that, you know, we can do this. And, um, you know, I think the faculty now are kind of taking a look at, at, at classroom delivery in a different way. Um, there's just so many options now to really enhance uh, you know, the delivery of education to our, our students in ways that, uh, you know, are far more interesting and far more interactive um, and far more flexible. Are there innovations either in the classroom or in terms of you know, public health response, things you had to do this year that you might not have done otherwise that you'll probably want to continue, innovations that are going to stick? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, we made huge investments in technology over this past year, and because of that, we have capabilities we've never had before, and, and including trying to reach our rural students, um, you know, you know, because of those upgrades, if a student can 
can make it to one of our extension centers around the state, um, which we're basically in, in almost every county and, you know, we have research stations as well. Um, they can they can participate in class. You know, if they can't, if they're rural and they, they don't have access to good internet, um, all they have to do is get to one of those centers and they could they could take classes. So, you know, I we see a lot of opportunity moving forward to take what we've learned here and, and leverage some of the investments that we were able to make thanks to, um, you know, some of the money coming down for investments in this type of infrastructure so that we can deliver education to those students where they where they live and and we really want to be able to do that in a more effective way no and i've been struck this year as i've talked to students not just at u of i but at, at other institutions across the state some saying i didn't really like online learning i really do prefer face-to-face but they do see in many cases you know there are some advantages to online learning in terms of fitting classes into their schedule and you know and, and you know getting getting core credits that they, that they need in, in a different format yeah, in, indeed, and and we are a destination campus. We're not moving away from that. We're we're live instruction is what we're all about, you know. And um, but you know, again, we we can we can add on to that, you know, and and reach students we couldn't reach previously. So I'm not saying we're moving to you know uh, to become uh, uh, you know Phoenix or you know one of the big online producers. No, we're, that, that's not our goal. But uh, you know. Frankly, you know, again, it just gives more flexibility and options. And but some students told us they prefer being online. They they did not want to be in the classroom. They prefer to be at home or in their dorm room and, and prefer to go that way. So this gives them the opportunity to do that. And, and certainly some disciplines, some classes more readily translate to that kind of a format. Yeah. Yeah, no question. So how did this year evolve? I, I was struck watching it from afar that, you know, the fall was tougher maybe than the spring. You know, the numbers started to sort of stabilize. Uh, you know, your, your testing results were, were a little bit more, uh, were more consistent week to week. Vaccines started to uh, play a role. What, what changed along the way? Uh, that, all of the above? Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know volatility in the results uh, in the fall. Uh, a lot of hard work and, and you know sleepless nights where we were kind of trying to respond to some of the outbreaks. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we survived the fall and we came into the spring. You know, we we were prepared for the worst. We thought, well, with all the students going back home, they're going to bring back the virus. That, did, as you know, that didn't really happen. Um, Students came back, and you know we had some of the lowest uh, infection rates when we tested all the students when they came back for this for the spring semester. And so that set the stage for us, really. And uh, as you pointed out, uh, you know, uh, you know we kind of cruised through the spring, including when the students came back from spring break. Um, you know, we had a, a few upticks, but you know, in a couple areas, you know, where we had some hot spots. But it was a much easier semester for us than the fall. And of course, once the vaccine started rolling out, you know, we had a pretty good uptake here on campus. And, and we wanted, you know, once we were allowed to give them to students, we worked hard to try to give every student a vaccine who wanted it um, before um, testing weeks. We knew we knew that, you know, the side effects could, you know, could make things uncomfortable. So we, we really uh, pulled out all the stops and Gridman was fantastic. Uh, they really helped in that. How much of a factor is the vaccine going forward? I know it's not going to be a requirement in the fall, but obviously it's something that you're hoping students will take it if they feel comfortable with it and can yeah, take it from a yeah, health no, standpoint. We, do. we think it's a huge factor. Um, we, we encourage everybody to get it. Um, uh, but, you know, if someone decides not to get it, they're putting themselves at risk. And, and why we, we prefer they not put themselves at risk. Uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, everyone should have access to it, um, you know, certainly by the fall. And, and so, you know, that's an individual choice. And I personally don't believe that I should be making those choices for those individuals. Um, as long as we protected everyone who, who wants protection, I think we're, we're in a pretty good place. Let me shift gears to the other big development this past academic year, this past political year, the legislative session. You were you were pretty outspoken during the session about some of the, the rhetoric that you were hearing from the state house, some of the backlash against uh, higher education. Walk listeners through that a little bit. Why is that such a big concern, not just in the moment, but maybe uh, longer term? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was outspoken, but I really was, I only, <laughs> I was only outspoken once, let's put it that way. And and it's just because, you know, frankly, I, I wanted to get our message out to our alumni and our advisors that, you know, what they were hearing, you know, wasn't truthful uh, and was not fully truthful for sure. Um, and that the narrative, you know, was, was just outright, you know, um, unsupportable and dangerous. And... Um, you know, I think by standing up uh, to that narrative, um, you know, uh, you know, we started something, and uh, you know, you know, we're all, you know, we. I think all of the the eight presidents, and particularly the four the four year institutions, um, you know, we're, we're really uh, grateful to the way business responded, uh, to the way the CEOs of some of our largest companies responded, uh, to the way our friends in the legislature responded. Um, you know, and how our alumni responded. I mean, it's almost like they weren't paying attention because, you know, what happens in the state house isn't always the most interesting thing. But once they realized what was happening, I, I mean, they picked up the phone and they started calling their legislators and uh, uh, it made a big difference. Um, there's no question, uh, you know, our, our government relations people told us it, it completely changed the tenor, you know, in the house. And we probably would have sailed through had it not been for the COVID break that they had to take. That gave, uh, you know, those who you know wanted to continue to, continue to spin the false narrative an opportunity to, to regroup. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we were pretty successful. I mean, we, you know, we ended up taking a, a relatively uh, small hit, you know, financially for what turned out, you know, I think has been proven now from the Holly Troxel, um, Holly Troxel uh, investigation to be a false narrative. And hopefully our friends in the legislature can can rally around that and not let that happen again because it just uh, it was really sad what happened this session. And just to clarify, we've talked about this before: the five hundred thousand dollar reduction in your budget. You think you're going to be able to cover uh, through reserves? Yeah, we, we're, we'll handle that centrally. We don't want to punish our students or our faculty for a false narrative, and and so you know we're prepared to take that on. So you talked about how. The community responded. The business community, the alumni, uh, your allies in the state house. How do you think this is going to play out you know, at the ground level with, with parents and with kids, especially parents and kids in rural Idaho, maybe first generation students. You know, the, the kind of students that you're really trying to attract to campus. Does this does this backlash have uh, an impact there? I, I think it does. Um, you know, I think we see it already in, in some of the, uh, the numbers of applications, in-state applications to our in-state institutions. As you know, Kevin, you know, as you report on many times, we've got a common app. And, and uh, so basically a student can apply to all four of the four institutions through one application. And those are way down this year. Uh, you know, last I heard is right down about 15%. I'm not sure where it currently stands, but 
you know, and you know, some might say that had to do with COVID. It's possible, um, but also, you know, we have this narrative out there that higher education doesn't pay. Uh, public money shouldn't go into higher education because it's not a good value. And and as we all know, that's just a, another false narrative. You know, anyone who gets a college education will likely uh, make $1.2 million more over their lifetime. They're likely to live nine years longer because they're making better decisions. Um, they're more likely to be involved in their communities and, and serve on boards and, and, you know, be elected into the legislature. Um, you know, so for, for us, we do believe it has an impact. And, um, you know, I really think that we, we need to get, again, we need to get out there and correct that narrative. <laughs> because there are implications, not just for your institution, but for the state, it's, it's home growing talent. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have the inputs, you know, which are our students, you don't have the outputs, which are graduates, which our businesses right now desperately need in this state. And they're telling everybody that. And yet, you know, in, you know, when, when our state needs graduates the most, you know, we're we're underfunding education. So uh, it's a problem for the state. It's a problem for our long term health. And it could fundamentally change the way your campus looks and the way your student demographics look. I mean, you're you're doing a pretty good job across the system of bringing in out-of-state students, but if you're not bringing in the in-state students, you may have a campus community that doesn't really reflect the state as much as you would like it to. Well, again, you nailed it, and this is my concern. Uh, you know, I mean, the narrative out there is, you know, if we punish these these institutions, you know, we'll get them to do what we want them to do and say what they what we want them to say. But the reality is, is that we need revenue to survive, right? We need to, 80% of our costs are, are um, you know, our people. Uh, so, you know, what this really means is that, you know, uh, in, while we prefer and we want in-state students, that is our mission. Uh, we'll take out-of-state students if we've got the room for them. And right now, um, I, I have to say, uh, out-of-state applications are going through the roof because people recognize what a great value, you know, the University of Idaho is and the other Idaho institutions. Uh, so again, this false narrative that we're not a great value is, you know, the market is speaking <laughs> and it's speaking loud. And, you know, if we don't fix our, our in-state funding so we can, and the narrative so we can attract in-state students, you're right. Um, I think they will have lost a gem in the University of Idaho in the state, which, you know, has a really moderate student body, a really moderate faculty and does great work and research for the state of Idaho and, and its citizens. How do you think the tuition freeze is going to affect what you see coming this fall? Because it's a freeze not just for in-state, but also for out-of-state. Yeah, well, you know, we, we chose to make it for out-of-state as well. Um, you know, and again, I think it just improves our competitive position as long as we can afford to, to continue to provide the programs that are key to our, our, our folks in the state and, and our citizens and that our business needs. And there's some doubt around that, and, and I get that. We, there are some investments we have to make. Um, but what's really important is that we maintain our enrollment so that, um, you know, pretty much over everything so we can maintain those programs. So that's kind of the first, first and foremost at our minds is to ensure that our enrollment stabilizes. So I started this out by asking if you've been able to breathe a sigh of relief, but I know you're three months away from the fall, so you're probably not in complete <laughs> uh, rest and relaxation mode. What, what are you looking at most closely looking ahead to the fall? Yeah, yeah. For us, it's it's really getting um, our our enrollments, you know, uh, to where we need them. Trying to get students back onto campus, um, you know, that's also a struggle. Uh, you know, it's been a tough year with COVID, and and uh, you know, we're, we're concerned that you know some of the continuing students may not come back. Uh, you know, we we which is 
the worst thing that can happen, right? Because they've already made the investment and we just, we don't want to lose those students. So we're working really hard over the summer uh, to try to get, uh, you know, all those kids back, uh, you know, into school and to, to recruit uh, the new class. But the anticipation at this point is most classes back to a face-to-face mode, campus culture more or less like uh, like normal. Yeah, yeah. No, we we plan to be fully open, uh, fully live, um, and and you know again we we may still have uh, some hybrids where people can choose not to be in class, but uh, anyone who wants the normal university experience, uh, you know, can have it. And uh, you know we're planning for big festivities this fall. Um, you know, a, a big homecoming and leadership weekend and, and opening the ICCU arena. And we're excited. I mean, this fall is going to be amazing. And uh, we just can't wait for it to happen. <laughs> and actual football games in the fall instead of in the spring. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, it's exciting with, with actual tailgates and, you know, and people actually, you know, getting, getting together again. So we're, we're really looking forward to that. So it's all a hope towards normalcy. Yeah. What do you watch most closely? I mean, what uh, what potentially is a complication? The only complication I, I would see is if uh, there were a strain of the COVID virus, which the vaccine couldn't cover, uh, that would cause us to respond. And um, you know, so we're watching that very closely. So far, the vaccine seemed to be very effective against all strains, and and uh, you know, hopefully that will continue through the fall. Um, you know, but that that is something we're keeping our eye on. President Green, I always appreciate your time and, and your candor. Hopefully we can uh, catch up here uh, down the road and actually catch up face to face. We're doing this uh, interview via Zoom. Hopefully the Zoom here is uh, coming to somewhat of a, a conclusion. Yeah, yeah, I hear you on that as well. We're all looking back and forward to getting back to face to face means. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for all your Thank reporting you've done and getting the story of our education told. Again, that was Scott Green, the president of the University of Idaho. That's going to wrap it up for this week. We'll be back early next week. Well, not completely early next week. We're all going to be taking Monday off for Memorial Day, but we'll be back the rest of the week. So do follow us at idahoednews.org for the latest news. Follow us also on Twitter at idahoednews. We send out links to our latest stories and bulletins on any breaking news. Also follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. And I'll be back next Friday with another edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a great holiday weekend.